Welcome to the big kickoff. It's the 31st of May and joining myself, Roy Shanahan, on the show, as always, is David Bugle and also from thebigkickoff.com, it's Nathan Doyle and Peter Moore. Now, we're going to start off where we're all a little bit happy about the Premier League. It's targeting the June 17th return with all 92 matches set to be televised in a feast of footballs. The game, footballs or just football, just football. The games will be played behind closed doors after the British government gives the thumbs up a return to sports in the country. The first games will be Aston Villa, Sheffield United, Man City and Arsenal. And everyone then will be on 29 games heading into the weekend, June 19th to 21st to kick it all off again. Dave, we have a date now. And yesterday in the latest COVID-19 test results, there were no new cases. So, are we just looking forward to June 17th now? Uh, yeah. I th- I th- look, uh, as long as the guys look after themselves, I can't see it really spiking into anything scary. Uh, the fact that the, the very last one now is a positive step, considering it's what, another two, two and a half weeks away. The German league is not really spiking up anything too scary or crazy. Um, and obviously, other some of the other big boys are coming in as well now. So, it's hard to say you're excited, you know what I mean? Because you know the football that's coming. Yes, you wouldn't mind seeing your own team again, but it's not going to hit the same mark. It's just trying to tape your expectations of what you're going to watch. You're going to watch it all, but, you know, it's not going to be the same and just be ready for that. But at the same time, yeah, you are looking forward to seeing the teams you watch every week because listening to one or two of my mates going on about German football when I know they've only watched it for two weeks is getting really annoying. Yeah. <laughs> We talked about Troy Deeney over the last couple of weeks, uh, a couple of different reasons. But is this something now where you look at the likes of Troy Deeney and anyone else who's a little bit hesitant, looking at German football, looking at maybe and hearing how the teams are looking after their players, is this something that might ease them back into the game? Of course it'd have to help. Like having Having the German league has probably been the final... Um, piece of the jigsaw to really kind of maybe sell it and how it's been going on and how there hasn't been massive spikes in uh, contracting the virus or anything like that since and obviously how it's set up uh, Kante was one who had a fear and he's coming back as well so I'd say apparently Deeney had a great chat with the doctor and he really hammered at home how safe he is and he's uh, and, and all that kind of stuff and I laid a lot of fear so you know it's it's one of them where, like, Tyrone Mings has suddenly piped up as well and said it's all about money and this, that, and the other. It's like, okay, right, where's this coming from? Like, you're one minute you're saying you're excited about it coming back, but you're still having a kind of a bit of a dig. It's kind of one last player, just in my opinion, just being a bit too precious about it. Like, look, I know, fair enough, there's so many people out there working. I'm not saying get them out there because they're so rich and this, that, and the other. It's got nothing to do with that. They're going to be in such a safe environment and they won't be trying. It'd be such a PR disaster if this was to be wrong. So, of course, they were going to do it in the most safest way possible because if it went wrong on this, it, it would destroy the reputation. So, they were always going to be in a decent environment. So, it's it's time to just go trading and see what happens. Like, it's it's not 100%, 100% set in stone. Just get out, get training, get fit, and we'll see where we go from there. And it's probably even safer now because they're getting tested once yeah, twice, twice a week times a week so yeah for us mere mortals who go to the shop or walk out we don't know who we're walking around they know the people beside yeah. them don't have it 
yeah, it, it, it's it's if anything, it makes it even safer for their lives than than staying at home and kind of popping down to the shops now because they're literally just down tools now. Pardon the pun, and kind of stay in their own little bubble and really other people will do the kind of work for them now and kind of thing and just say, look, if I if I I'm clean, I'm clear. And if I stay away from who I who who you don't want to be around, you know you should be fine. And you're going to get that reassurance every couple of days. So, if anything, it, it just further hammers home that technically, in or in inverted commas, it is safer than than what they were doing for the last couple of months. Yeah, Nathan, every game is live. Uh, BBC are getting a chance. Amazon, BT Sports, and Sky Sports all going to show games live. Yeah, it's good to see, isn't it? It's uh, just good to have some sort of football back. I think uh, Sky Sports now even launching free games. I think the 25 out of the 64 games they're showing are going to be shown uh, for free. So that's also a good, something good to look forward to, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah, yeah. B- BBC, I think, I believe, are showing uh, four. And I, think, I think it's the four games that BBC have, yeah, that they're yeah, going to be yeah. showing for them. Yeah, and obviously match of the day will be there as well. So uh, it's understood that finishing the season will require six weekends and three midweek rounds with the end date of Saturday the 25th of July uh, being the target. And the vast majority of games will be played home and away, but a few high-profile games may be asked to be played on neutral venues. Peter, would you trust Liverpool fans not to celebrate outside Goodison Park when they win the league title? (laughs) A uh, simple answer to that is uh, no. <laughs> um, How dare you? <laughs> they were shook. <laughs> Outrage. <laughs> no, look, um, when I say no, Roy, I, I, I'm referring to a small minority. I, I don't mean 20,000 Liverpool fans are going to celebrate outside Goodison. Remember, it's only in walking distance as well, literally. No, no, all joking aside, I think a few of them will will try to and that's obviously fully understandable isn't it really more than anything else uh, I would hope the vast percentage of Liverpool fans would not be celebrating they would be celebrating in their own home um, social distancing of course understandably so and um, I think that's the way forward yeah you know I mean it's going to be interesting to see what games or if any I mean I'm certainly they that they will have certain amount of games at neutral venues, it has been talked about every single Liverpool match apparently could even be played at a neutral venue until officially they are crowned uh, Premier League champions. Yeah, I can understand why perhaps the authorities and the police, etc., would want something like that. But I, I can't see a huge amount of other games, to be fair, actually going uh, behind, uh, you know, uh, behind closed doors, at neutral venues, no. I think there may well be potentially some clashes that will be, but a lot of that will depend on authorities that they get, i.e. police in particular, more than anything. I think the police authorities in this country would have a big say on this, as opposed to the the Premier League, more than anything else as well. So it's going to be interesting to see, obviously, as of what will have neutral venues but I mean aside from that I think it's the right choice home and away it, it, it's clearly going to work I mean you know I, I still think you may have a, a small element of people and I stress the word small boy I don't think I'm, I'm not referring to a large chunk of fans you will probably get a few fans who will be tempted I stress the word underline tempted to perhaps go and possibly try you know try and get in somehow as the case may be but I'm sure 
there will be security and etc around these grounds and, and hopefully that will stop those small minority of people who are actually trying to get into these places yeah dave the police in liverpool said that they yeah. would find it acceptable i want to get i want to let you get in there i know you're probably <laughs> interested to get in <laughs> after, well, after the outrage from let Peter me there. at him let me at him <laughs> uh, but yeah they they seem to believe that they could handle this and it wouldn't be a problem yeah i suppose it's they're obviously going to say look we're we're more than capable of anyone else of, of looking after our own um i was only thinking about it just before we came on like you know, scousers like you know they're a boisterous uh, bunch. They kind of go against the system. If they kind of take Liverpool's home matches away from them, they potentially could maybe cause more of a problem wherever the neutral game is, and kind of go right. Let's let's make this awkward and kind of start popping up around wherever. Like I'm not saying they would, but it, I think it could potentially cause more of a problem where they might go feck it. Let's get in the car and cause a bit of a just. A, I don't know, just not not necessarily kind of mass gatherings or anything like that, but they just might make it a bit more awkward if they took it away more so than if they kept it where it is. But look, it, it, the fear would be there that it, 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 it'd be very hard to contain that many people after waiting for so long. I think it's only, I think it's fairly common between us all of, of, of the opinion there will be some element of celebrations or something around the grounds if, if, if it does happen. I'd be shocked if it isn't. And at the end of the day, you can hear the, the wind of everyone's fingers where they're blown on them so they can tap on their keyboards with their outrage and disgust if, if it does happen, you know. But all the, all the other 19 clubs can't wait to have a moan about the Scousers if they do it. The way they're going on about the, everyone on the beaches this weekend. But if, it's, it's, it's going to happen. But just how bad would it be if it was elsewhere? It could be worse, in my opinion. I don't know. I just have the sneaky feeling that people might make it a bit more awkward. If it yeah. was taken away, yeah, and that's that's interesting to know. Let's get into a Liverpoolian's head uh, <laughs> mindset there. Uh, <laughs> I'm ready. I'm... <laughs> uh, anyhow, the Premier League clubs will have to pay back 340 million to domestic and international broadcasters for uh, playing without fans in different times than that was scheduled as part of the contracts. Chief Executive Richard Masters had predicted it may be around one billion. So not as bad as they had expected. Peter, mm. you wrote an article on thebigkickoff.com with the title, Restart of Sport in UK Favouring Men Over Women. Tell us about well, what you found and is there a risk that the women's sport could take a huge backward step with many decisions made on their sports? Yeah, it's a little bit worrying, actually. Um, obviously, it's great to get sport back uh, around the world, in particular in the UK, Ireland, all over the place, etc. But my initial fears, which have grown in the last few weeks in particular, have been the fact that it seems to be the men's version of the game has always ahead of the women's version. And the men sort of have been given the priority over the women's. I mean, for instance, you know, we, yesterday it was announced we in this country for instance in the uk we're going to have horse racing we've got football we've got snooker back we've got golf tennis good heavens i mean the list goes on but none of those sports that i've mentioned and others as well are relevant to women which at the moment seem to have been completely ignored more than anything i mean all right the premier league understandably is always going to be the number one as, as i mean that's fully justified and fully understandable more than anything else but when you consider 
uh, women's football, rugby and netball, uh, all three very, very popular sports, it has to be said, which have grown substantially in the last 10 years. Unfortunately, they've all had to be cancelled. Uh, there was no real discussions or debates or even time factor by leaving them for a long time, just in case, for instance, lockdown measures were eventually eased and finances could possibly help out. That completely was overlooked. And understandably, a lot of women in general sports in particular are very, very worried at this moment in time because up until uh, the start of the uh, the uh, lockdown in particular, women's sport was on a complete high. When you consider last year, we had a, the Netball World Cup over in this country in Liverpool with sold out crowds day in, day out. I mean, I was lucky enough to, to attend that as well. And that was absolutely phenomenal. I mean, I'm just talking the game of netball. I could talk about the Cricket World Cup. I mean, that was absolutely phenomenal with sell out crowds. Football in particular, World Cup. The Women's uh, Football League, again, massive amount of exposure for them. And the attendances week in, week out have been absolutely huge. Even that's in doubt. I mean, they're talking about possibly uh, coming back in September. But of course, the way things are at the moment, that isn't going to be an absolute 100% certainty either. So really, it is a worrying time by far and away for women's sport in general, because mm. a lot of these sports in particular have to rely on finances. They've got to rely on attendances. They have to rely on very, very good sponsorship and exposure in particular which up until recently, they certainly have. But a lot of these governing bodies are very worried that everybody seems to have been putting the men's version of the game forwards. Yes, all right, that is where the big money is. I appreciate that. But at the end of the day, you've still got to have some sort of women's sport because if that starts getting overlooked in particular, more than anything, a lot of these sports, I feel, unfortunately, in time, could well go back to their amateur roots. And that, to me and obviously a lot of women who play all these very, very big leagues in particular, uh, that really should not happen at all whatsoever. So really, it is a big concern, I feel. Yeah, and it's it's just a case of the big money, the finances aren't in those sports, and they're probably thinking about how they will, uh, all their brain power into the big sports, as you said, the, the Premier League and all the big money-relevant sports, and they'll, look after the women later on it's kind of just just brushing them off really aren't they yeah well, well they are roy yeah yeah you know i think you summed it up perfectly you, you know you, you said the words they're brushing them off and and i i think that's an apt description because it just seems to be the case that they are being completely pushed to one side and a lot of these organizations are forgetting the massive exposure uh and the momentum that those particular governing sports built up with women in particular. Um, now, if these are going to be completely put aside for a very long time, could be towards the end of the year, we could even be talking about next year now, remember, are we still going to get the same momentum back for those particular sports? Now, that has got to be, again, another massive worry. Yeah, it'd, it'd be interesting to see how it comes about and how, how quickly they to restore the women's game and hopefully sooner rather than later. Nathan, with Euro 2020 move to the summer of 2021, what has your way for been saying about hosting games? Yeah, so as we know, um, it was going to be hosted over 12 different cities all over Europe with Dublin being one of them. 
Dublin were due to host uh, three group games in Group B, which would be Poland, Sweden, uh, and then the winner of the playoffs that include ourselves, Northern Ireland, Bosnia, and Slovakia. The other team in that group is Spain, but they hold they were due to hold all of their games in Spain. But it's um it's come out now uh, recently. It's been reported that Rome, Bilbao, and Amsterdam might not be able to fulfil their previous commitments due to the ongoing pandemic in the world at the moment. Because as we know, Italy and Spain have been hit pretty hard by the virus. And then government officials came out in Holland saying that um, they wouldn't let any spectators into any big events until there's a vaccine out there to be used. Okay. So Dublin now thankfully have come out and said that they will, they're, they're fine, they have no issue hosting at the moment. And that they're still very committed to the... Um, to the cause and committed to winning Euro 2020 to the Stadium. Yeah, pretty much they're the only, uh, the only three cities that have an issues at the moment. So it's looking that Dublin could be asked to hold for the games. It's more than likely to be asked to hold one uh, round of 16, the round of the last 16 uh, one day mm. games. And pretty much the pros that UEFA came out and said that they'd like Dublin to hold it because venue officials in the Aviva Stadium have said that it is possible, if needs be, they can hold back-to-back games. Plus, okay. the Aviva Stadium has held a major uh, tournament final for your wave in the past in the Europa League final yeah, exactly, in, yeah. uh, in 2011. I mean, uh, where I get in Porto. Yeah. So, yeah, it's pretty good. And also, um, even for Ireland, for Dublin itself, like the economy boost that it get, the estimate that probably, yeah, it'd yeah, be like 20 million euros per game, per extra game will go into the economy. Oh, that's going to be fantastic to see it happen now, to be honest with you, in my opinion, anyway. So what you're saying, what you're saying, Nathan, is is that we could go all the way to the, the to the final just playing in Dublin. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, that's what it'd be nice to see, wouldn't it? <laughs> no, but it, you're saying that um, we could possibly get um, one more. We already have a game in the last 16. We could possibly get another. On top of that, we might get a couple of more group games. It all depends now where, whenever the decision is going to be made by UEFA if Rome, Bebeo and Amsterdam will go ahead and will fulfil the obligations. Yeah, yeah. They have four games each. So like, it is like, a substantial amount of games. They like, will be just suddenly dropped from, from the cities. Like, yeah. UEFA said you'd go ahead with this with at least eight cities. So I wouldn't be worrying and at I the moment about it being cancelled. I, we I think we were paired with Bilbao. So. We were. We we could easily absorb their games if you know what I mean because obviously the, the teams would be kind of interacting between both Bilbao and Dublin. Yeah, that's what he's saying. There wouldn't be much really of a tapering off to them because, like yeah. you said, we are twinned in with Bilbao anyway, so it does work mm. out pretty well in their favour in that aspect too. Yeah. Uh, what news have we got on the League of Ireland restart and how has testing gone? Uh, it's been frustrating now for a couple of people um, at the moment, but we got a little bit of an update now during the week. Uh, there was a zero meeting held between. Um, Noel Quinn and a couple of representatives of clubs. So pretty much uh, what came out of that meeting was that uh, should the FLO agree a significant uh, pay package between the clubs in the next couple of weeks, the League of Ireland should be resumed behind closed doors uh, by the 14th of August with the regular season looking to end on the 11th of December. And then the following week, the relegation and promotion playoffs will finish up on the 18th. That's pretty much that's the biggest uh, update that we can get at the moment. Okay. Uh, the FEI Cup is still going to go ahead as normal, and the, the final is going to go ahead now on the 4th of November. That's, so nothing new there. But the EA Sports Cup is still uh, postponed, it's still cancelled for this season. 
that that will not go ahead. And testing? And testing, uh, yeah, testing will be going on Monday with, with players and staff from uh, Dundalk, Shamrock Rovers, Derry and Bohemians because they're all a part of this pilot tournament that I was talking about a couple of weeks ago. That's yeah. going to go ahead yeah, yeah. in the Aviva Stadium. Cream that's um, involving all the teams that are going to be playing in Europe this season. So, uh, and then all them lads are due back training on the 8th of June. So, pretty much just waiting now on the test results. He said um, everything seemed to go fine. So, hopefully, you come back with no negatives and it should be all system go for that tournament to go ahead. Great, great. Last week, we took a look back at our favourite FA Cup memories as the 139th final was due to be played that weekend. So Nathan was keen to mark this weekend's scheduled day for the Champions League final with our favourite Champions League or European Cup final memories. Peter, I'm going to start with you because uh, I don't want to take that in away now <laughs> from you this time. So fire away. Right. Well, I, I mean, the obvious one, and I'm sure Dave will probably come up with this. Is... No, fire away, fire away. I knew someone would. Go on, fire away. Uh, no, but it isn't going to be mine. No, 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 no. But ah. I was going to say... Ah. No, I'll leave that to Dave because he's obviously going to mellow in that <laughs> bit of you know wonderful game that it was. Not no, um, I'm not going to go with Liverpool and AC Milan because yeah, I suppose realistically you'd say that was probably one of the best. No, I I, I personally have gone for <clears throat> a bit of an oldie, uh, 1999 um, Barcelona. That was the oh, venue. Oh, I knew it. You took somebody <laughs> else's. Yes. <laughs> oh, sorry about that. that. Prepared, Peter. <laughs> Barcelona was the venue. Manchester United and Bayern Munich. Now it was. It wasn't the fact of ninety minutes. Was to be honest with you, it wasn't. The, I wouldn't say it was mm. a classic. No. Uh, aside from the last few minutes, eighty-four minutes Bayern Munich led for, and then. The turning point, Teddy Sheringham. Remember Teddy Sheringham? God, yeah. yeah. Yes. And indeed. a certain Oli Gonasolska. He got the winner. A lot of people don't remember that. 1999 Champions League final. I remember watching it and I was thinking at the time, yeah, it's not the most uh, wonderful and best Champions League I've ever seen. But boy, what an amazing few minutes it really was. Whether you were a Manchester United fan or not, that was beside the point. Those last few minutes was a magnificent turnaround and it always sticks in my mind. So I'm going to plump for that one, United and uh, Munich. Yeah, I agree with you because obviously that's one that sticks out in in my mind. But it it wasn't just that the final had such a dramatic finish, but it was the whole way the competition went for Manchester United in it. Yeah, that's true. They played real attacking football. It was attack, attack, attack after every game. Never gave up. Uh, it was the funny Turin though. The game, Shanna, was unreal. Which one? The Turin match was just unreal. Uh, unreal. Yeah, performance that day. Every, every, everything, everything against you. Everything against you and you just went for it. It was yeah. brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. No. But every game, Dave, in the group stages, yeah. they, they only won two games in the group stages and got through. They beat yeah. Bambi twice. And they drew the other four games against Barcelona and Bayern Munich. But there was three threes and two twos so they were all attacking games. So I remember every single game. They beat Inter Milan the last 16. I remember every single mm. game. And it was always a cracker of a game. So because of that, it's always stuck in my mind. And of course, if you look at Manchester United now and over the last few years, you, you only dream and wish for that. You feel my pain, Roy, don't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hopefully it's not 30 years. Well, anyhow. Uh, 
Nathan, we go with you. Yeah. Uh, it's now made with these sort of things, lads. I'm a sensitive soul, and it's always sentimental. But, uh, 2008. <laughs> yeah, 2008. Well, <laughs> 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 2008 <laughs> final, Manchester United versus Chelsea in uh, Moscow. See, because I would have only been three when the 1999 but what I enjoyed about it was, I watched it with my dad. So me and him in one room, two United fans. And in the next room, my uncle was a staunch Chelsea fan. So <laughs> that helped was just a glass case of emotion for the whole end. Like, <laughs> I just remember it clearly. Like, we were jumping around, celebrating, celebrating. And then, like, after holding sex, my dad goes, Hi, shh, 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 shh. I'm too loud. <laughs> don't, uh, don't be making any noise. <laughs> So yeah, that's what it was. I mean, it was an A final. It's the first one that came to mind when I thought of the Champions League finals. Brilliant, Dave. Uh, I'm, I actually wasn't going to go with Istanbul because I kind of banked on Peter doing it, so I had a completely different other one set up. <laughs> Sorry, but, uh, just I'll give you one memory of Istanbul. It was just three 0 down. I was around the corner in the brother-in-law's house. He, he only just got a bar in, so I went around there. I said, I want to watch it in peace. Three 0 down probably three or four points in now and Jackie the wife rings and goes is everything okay I said don't worry about it I'm getting pissed it's over I, I, I've made me peace I'm going to have some fun and uh, little did I know what was going to come come over the next hour an hour and a half so yeah listen that's been played out to death and of course every European Cup final has been played out to death over the last few weeks because if Twitter puts up another on this day 15 years ago such and such won this Cup final or 22 years ago this I was like Christ I, I get it you know but for me, I was obsessed with Holland in Euro 88. And then that developed into Milan because the three big boys, Van Basten, um, Hullet and Rijkaard went to Milan and yeah. started a love affair with Milan, nearly on a par with Liverpool for them years. I was, I was just obsessed with them. I had just as many posts of them as I had at Liverpool. And it's not the 89 one because 89 was, the, or not 89, is 88 or 89? 89 when we uh, stay at Bucharest in the new Camp 4 nil. That was pretty epic. It was a bit of a one-sided one affair. But it was the other 4-0 in 1994 against Barcelona in Athens. Um, it was two proper superpowers uh, getting it on. And it was kind of like a change in the guard almost. But Milan didn't see it that way and destroyed Barcelona that night. Daniele Massaro got a couple. Um, Marcel Desailly with the little side for it. But uh, obviously the famous one, the, the one I loved, was the Savicevic lob over Zubi Zaretta. They were yeah. they were just unbelievable that night. And it was um like this is back in the day where I think you only had the three foreigner rules. So it was predominantly Italian and Spanish, but they were the best of the best. And I just always remember that night. It was it was just it really solidified just how how much of a superpower they were because they they just such a dominant period of five or six years in, in domestic and European football and just hammered at home again that night. But I was just oh, mightily impressed that night. So that was my that was the memory I went with purely because I had a feeling, oh, well, I and banked on Peter that, picking Istanbul. Those Dutch players would have been prominent in our mind because of yeah. Euro 88, of course, Ireland in the European Championships. Uh, and th those players 
set the, the world on fire then. Absolutely. Uh, once that volley went in, like obviously the, they were impressive in the group stages and obviously they, they had a great game against England. Um, kind of uh, broke our hearts. But then once that volley went in in the final, that was it. The love affair started with the Dutch side and, and then obviously following the lads onto Milan, it was, it, was, it was unreal. But yeah, obviously they weren't there for 94, but it just kind of over the year. And then obviously Barcelona won it in 92 in Wembley. And so they were very much kind of two the two top teams in European football. So it was a it was a real mega night, but then Milan really just hammered at home that night. It was a very impressive. Yeah, night. yeah. Right, so I knew Peter would probably rob my Manchester United one. So <laughs> I, thought, I thought about it. I couldn't go three all with Liverpool and, and uh, Milan. I knew that would be gone as well. I had a hunch that Nathan would take 2008. Uh, <laughs> finally remembers. So, but I did, there was one Champions League or European Cup that was the European Cup at the time that stuck in my mind. And it was Red Star Belgrade against Marseille in 1991. And the reason why this stuck in my mind so so much over all these years is because it was one of the worst Champions League finals. Oh, shocking. (laughs) Prozneski, Mihailovic, Sinsa Mihailovic, uh, Panchev. But again, even the players didn't set the world alight as amazing players. So it stuck in my memory just for being absolute tripe. So, uh, <laughs> okay, we'll talk a bit of transfer talk. It's getting to that stage now where they've talked about the transfer window and they're saying when the season finishes, the transfer window is going to kick in. So, Nathan, I'm going to give you the chance there to start off the first one. Yeah, so the one doing the rounds that I've seen the most anyway is that uh, AC Milan have now expressed interest in signing uh, Jeff Hendricks from Burnley. He's uh, out of contract this summer, so there'll be no fee really involved. Apparently there was interest uh, even before the whole lockdown kicked in, so they're just pretty much uh, resuming where they left off. Uh, Hendricks, he signed from Derby County. It was a record fee at the time, 10.5 million. And I've seen a lot of people. Uh, calling it like you now a strange transfer or like God, like Jeff Hendrick to AC Milan. But we all know AC Milan, that's not the AC Milan that you wore like many no. months ago. Like, you know, it's a different team, it's a very average team. They're seventh now. Kevin Prince Boateng, for God's sake. They're seventh now at the moment in, uh, in the Serie A. Like, you know, having won the, won the league since 2010, 2011. Haven't been in the Champions League since 2014, 2014 season. Mm. So, like, I wouldn't really hail that as that, like, that strange transfer. And looking at the squad, he'd probably have a good chance of getting in there and making a place for himself in that squad. Like, he's a decent enough player, Hendricks, you know, like, not too flashy, not too exciting, but it's pretty much, it would be a good move from now, I think. Going to stranger, t- stranger things have happened and Hendricks going across there and, and making an impact. Certainly have, like, you know, and it's like the ability is there on his half, like, and, and not even AC Milan, I think it's safe to say the whole Serie A in general severely dropped off in quality to what it used to be like so I wouldn't be really voting them off myself I think he could go over there and make some sort of career for himself anyway there's talk of because his contract is running down talk of Burnley looking to renew it obviously with AC Milan and a couple of other clubs having a, a, annoying him from the Premiership if you, if you were Jeff Hendricks what would you do? Um, do you know what we won't fear would be him going over to Italy it's the, especially for the national team level it's how I think ever so ever mind where a lot of the national teams seem to be consist of lads playing in England. So that would be one fair for him. Uh, maybe, if, depending on the offer and depending on the team, 
I think the Premier League fights future. Like, it's only 28, so still plenty of playing time left, like, you know. So I think fights future, the Premier League, like, would be the best form. But, like, if Lama move over to AC Milan, it'd be hard not to turn down, really, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. Just the, it's just the prestige of the club, and like uh, I wonder if we get to play playing the San Siro. I'm not sure when the San Siro is supposed yeah. to be soon, isn't it? It is pretty soon. I'm not too sure on the date myself, but I know it's getting yeah. like it's it's getting green lit. Like it's gonna happen. Which to be fair, like I've never been, I've ne- never been to it now myself. But even by looking at it, like falling apart at the scenes, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, Dave, uh, your transfer talk. Yeah, look, we, we've done this over a couple of summers and you know yourself, Shano, if all of the rooms are true, you know, you'd be signing 100 players, we'd be signing 98 and everyone else would be signing 50 and 60. So you kind of try and read between the lines. And for me, it was purely on a Liverpool perspective because we meet myself and Nathan were just saying it there, like, yeah, more than likely it's, it's fairly safe to say Liverpool are going to be champions and the target's going to be on our back now to, to peg us back and... The rumour is that's always coming up lately is Timo Werner. I'm not necessarily saying he's exactly the guy I want, but it's very much on hoping that's what they're looking at is to mix it up with the front three and not just get somebody exactly like them, but somebody a little different. He seems a bit of a stereotypical forward, plenty of pace, gives in behind. I know the other two boys, Manny and Salah, do it, but a bit more of an out-and-out striker. And I'm not saying they'll fit in for me now, but... I just hope it's a different dimension that we need to add on because you know yourself, Shano, after a couple of seasons, the top side do eventually get found out and they do get picked off and you have to refresh things and that's why you have to tip your cap off to your Fergusons who was able to do it for 20 years and keep them at the top. You know, And Liverpool need to be doing that soon as well because as much as winning it this year, they've been there thereabouts for two or three seasons and hopefully same again next year. And we'll get to that point where we'll start to be found out until we freshen it up. So Werner is the one that won't go away. So I'd say he's very much in the plans. Um, but like a lot of transfers, it could start to get interesting because clubs are getting a bit more vocal in the pay, in the press about what they're willing to pay and it's a lot less than what it used to be. So some of these deals that look like they were in the bag could go out the window quite quick. Have you watched uh, much of Werner now since the restart of the Bundesliga? Not not too much now. I'll be brutally honest with you, Shano. Not too much. Have you, have you seen much of him yourself? I've only seen one or two little games here and there now, to be honest with you. I, um, yeah. I'm a more of a Union Berlin boy myself, so uh, Leipzig <laughs> isn't really on my radar. But now I've seen it. Yeah. I think I like, like, what I've seen the past couple of years, I do like the look of them, I have to say. Yeah. I think it's all that Liverpool need because the three lads up top now are fantastic. But yeah. they really are missing an out and out strike, and I think that'll bring like, a completely different element. Next it just mix it up a little bit yeah. and just make us not so predictable because yeah. as much as we have a bit of a squad this year, which we do, we're still very, it's the front three and the front three and our attacking style is still very much the same. So it'd be just nice to have that little something because it's, I'm already, I'm already starting to get pessimistic. I'm already starting to turn into the old Liverpool fan again going, oh, that's it, public force, sure. they're going to take us again and we're going to disappear. But no, it's, it's just one of them things. You just have to keep it fresh. Plus, there is rumours of Whatever about Salah in the last year too, there's a lot of rumours about Manny that just yeah. won't go away at the moment as well with Real Madrid. So we have yeah. to be looking simple as that. So I was looking at, I've been looking at a few games since they've come back and what I've noticed of him is, as you, you said already, is that he's, uh, he's very pacey. He does have an eye for a goal. He seems to me to be a replacement if he came in or, for, or a backup or whatever way you want to put it, for the wide players rather than Firmino okay. in the middle. Would you be, which uh, might 
hammer home the whole Mane piece. Might do because you look at you. You look at if you if he replaced Firmino or was to go in in that centre forward role, you know, switching with mm. Firmino, it seems more so that he likes to get in behind, and then your link okay. up play with the likes of Mane and Salah, it's a little bit more troubled then, you know, because they're yeah. all they're all stretching the back line, and then that's when your midfield kind of have to help link up. So the, the dynamics of the team might change. So maybe that is, maybe the man eating, there maybe there is something about it. Yeah, yeah. And then just very briefly before you move on, uh, whatever rumours about Sancho, they're definitely going to go up a notch after today. He scored a hat-trick in uh, Dortmund's match <laughs> this afternoon. Yeah. Again, now I'm going to come in on that one. I've watched yeah, Sancho in every game that he's played so far in, in the Bundesliga since the restart. And he hasn't, but nothing, absolutely nothing from him at all whatsoever. <laughs> So today he's playing bottom of the table as a pan of barn and I wouldn't read too much into it to tell you the truth. Okay. That's just my honest opinion. Was that, uh, was that his first start though, Shano? Is, was that That's the, his first that start, yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah, no, that is his first start, yeah. Yeah. So, oh, no, that's fine. Uh, listen, he, he's, a, he's a good player, but then it, you, I suppose you have to look at it. None of these players had... This is like a new season for them, isn't it? So none yeah. of them had pre-season games, if you want to call that. And they're, they're trying to catch up. So you look at Erling Haaland, not a top yeah. out either. So th- th- I don't think you're going to see the best out of players in the Bundesliga probably till now, next week or the week after. And I think it's going to be the same with the Premier League, three or four games 100%. down the line. Like Liverpool could easily take four or five or six games to get this over the line. It could end up being one of them real kind of <laughs> party pooper moments where it could take a bit of a while to get going. So yeah, it'll be very... Yeah, it'll be a lot of the work, the scout work on the and, and the, the 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 first part of the season, more so than what's going on now. Is would what be the wise move? To yeah, yeah. I know. No, we we now we'd hate to see Liverpool not go on now and win that league. That'd be that'd be yeah, right. <laughs> Peter, Peter, any transfer talk? Well, back here in the UK, it's looking like, uh, I'd go with 95% certain, that Chelsea will eventually sign Ajax left-back Nicolas uh, Tagliafico. Um, A very good player, five goals, seven assists so far uh, in the uh, Dutch Dutch League. Obviously, now that's officially finished. But a very, very talented player. Uh, Chelsea, to be fair... uh, He's been on their radar for a while, and I, I personally feel they do need a decent left back. I know they're also after Ben Chilwell as well. I mean, that one won't seem to go away uh, back here in England. But certainly the big talk, and as I say, the one that really is very, very high uh, percentage-wise of actually happening. Uh, and I think Chelsea will offer reasonable money, to be fair, as well. And I'm pretty certain Ajax will sell. So that seems to be the one, yeah. Uh, Nicholas uh, Tagliafico. From Ajax to uh, Chelsea, and they can get some so of that money Nick back was, if they sell Alonso. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Ah, uh, yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Chelsea are already after raiding Ajax as well, though. This uh, in January. Oh yeah. They? Zh. Yeah. So that that would be interesting to see if that goes through. Uh, yeah. Sal Niguez is a player who has been a long time link to Manchester United. Today, he sparked a Twitter frenzy when he tweeted, <laughs> I want to communicate something very important to me, along with the image which read, I'll announce it in three days. So Ooh. what he was announcing was, 
a new club which is on the banner so he hasn't he, he's going to announce that he's going or that he's joining a new club in three days uh people have gone mad about this uh, i have my suspicions what do you think yeah i think it's gonna be just a piss take or something isn't it I have to say, I have a yeah. funny feeling. I have a funny feeling. It's just, it's a drum up interest for something completely different, and it'll just be a bit of a laugh. It'll be a bit I, of I, a setup, yeah. all right, yeah. Yeah, it seems that way now to me. I have to say, because it's a strange way of going about. Maybe he's having a nightclub. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got a sweet <laughs> set of gob clubs. <laughs> <laughs> you got off guard. I, I have a feeling, guys. His agent might have a little bit of a <laughs> saying that as well, actually. Yeah, not about yeah, opening yeah. the nightclub. I mean about going on about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> it's right. I, I did a little, yeah, <laughs> I did a little bit of research there, and I checked to see what his family situation was, and did he have any children? He doesn't, and maybe he's going to join the daddy club. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Fine uh, work, Clouseau. Uh, nice. That, yeah. that 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 could be. So it'll be interesting to see in three days whether it's golf, caddy, or football. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's an interesting one. Okay, listen, we'll have a story each to finish off. Peter, do you want to go ahead? Yeah, well, mine is uh, a sport that's coming back here in the UK, tennis. We're going to have some live tennis. Now, it won't be Wimbledon. It won't be any of the main grass court, unfortunately. But it will be something that's going to be called the uh, Battle of the Brits. Uh, it's all been conjured up by uh, Jamie Murray. That's uh, Andy's brother, if you're unfamiliar with that. Uh, mm. It was his idea. He's been talking about this for the last month or so. And what it is going to involve is going to be the top eight British men's singles players. That's Dan Evans, Kyle Edmund, Cameron Norrie, um, uh, Jay Clark, Liam Brody, James Ward, Jack Draper. And of course, as it is uh, Jamie Murray, it's only fair and understandably so that uh, you should have a quick word with your brother, whether he's a sir or not, that's beside the point. And just say, Andy, how do you fancy playing? And the answer from Andy Murray straight away is yes, please. So Andy Murray will be part of the Battle of the Brits. It's a good move because it will give Andy Murray some more practice and play, etc. Uh, to uh, improve that damaged hip that he's had for a very, very long time, as you're aware as well. Um, it's going to be broadcast uh, television-wise. Uh, I think Amazon Prime have got the rights for it as well. It will get, uh, I think, a good view in. It, it's going to uh, help people who, to be fair, won't be able to watch any tennis for a very, very long time, certainly in this country, and to be fair, probably worldwide as well, actually. They're, they're going to be a doubles event in it. It's starting at uh, Roehampton, that's the LTA centre in Roehampton from June the 23rd, going to run through for five days. As I say, singles, doubles, the lot, which is really good news, actually. And of course, it will give people uh, the sight of seeing Andy Murray back again. Uh, let's hope he can get through five days. That's always going to be the big concern. And the other bit of news I can quickly tell you is there's going to be a girls event as well. So don't worry about it. The women won't be left out. The women are actually planning an event similar to this as well. I think that's going to happen sometime as well. That'll be announced, I've, I've been told, in the next few weeks as well. Good. A little bit of encouragement for the tennis world there. Dave? Uh, yeah, obviously, exercise over the last 10 weeks or so has been a little different for people because they can only go, say, two kilometres or five kilometres. Um, and spare a thought for the ultra marathon runners who, who run 
100 uh, kilometers and, and, and more. Well, this one is classed as the Everest of the, hold on, I have to, see, I have to really sell his name quick because it's, it's a dodgy one. <laughs> anyway, this is over 3,100 miles, but it's over the, over the course of a one block, a one New York City block. So basically, a guy from India, he came over in the 60s. His name is Sri, oh, here we go, Sri Shimanoi. And it's the self-transcendence 3,100-mile race, the world's longest certified uh, foot race. So it's roughly the equivalent of running from Land's End to John O'Groats and back twice. If you ran from the west coast of America to the east, you'd still need to do 11 marathons to top up the distance. Jesus. So there you go. Absolutely nuts. Up 84th Avenue. Uh, across Grand Central Parkway, uh, down 168th Street, and back up 84. Now, the only thing is, every other day you go the other direction just so you don't go too mad. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, basically, the clue is in the name. It was founded, it started in 1997. So, basically, he wanted to challenge runners to transcend their own previous capacity and gain spiritual insight. So, he's a bit of a kind of a Indian kind of back in the day, a bit of hippie lover, so I don't know who knows, but anyway. But the basic, the basic rules are runners have 52 days in which to complete the distance. So they can run, walk, hobble, whatever way you see fit. Um, and you can go, uh, you can do as much as you can between six o'clock in the morning and midnight. And then during the six hours when the course is closed, you need to eat, wash, and tend to your battered feet. Um, the longer they take, the less they sleep they have. So to save you the mats, 3,100 miles in 52 days, it's 59.6 miles a day. God. Unbelievable! Oh, and geez. here we go. One more. One more. One more. I'll I'll, I'll go for it. Ashprahanal Alto, an unassuming Finnish postman, set a new record of forty days, nine hours, six minutes, the equivalent of seventy-seven miles a day. Jesus! So there you go. So go for it. It started last Sunday. Uh, so yeah, it'll be a bit of fun. And it says here, the, the tagline at the start that got me into it is, it is a race so long that runners need a, need a haircut during it. Don't we all? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen to that. So there you go. If, if, if we, we think we're great doing our five kilometers a day, we're, we, we, we're at nothing. Yeah, you're allowed yeah. to do five, five kilometers a day. How far away is your off license now? <laughs> exactly 2.5 kilometers so it's 2.5 yeah. there and back 37 second walk yeah yeah Nathan, um, what have you got to finish so now actually speaking of offloads uh i linking into this uh, very smoothly i was on a quiz there um on saturday and finished up obviously had a few cans that's where the offloads and things into it and so i was sitting there and i was like oh, i'm not even tired i'll, I'll do it. i'll watch a bit of telly and there was a wrestling pay-per-view on on Saturday night. So I'm sitting there next to you now. Who walks out? Your friend, Mike Tyson, walks out on this uh, wrestling pay-per-view on Saturday night. Just, he was, he was presenting a belt at the end of one of the matches. And he couldn't look more uh, uninterested in Detroit. He was sitting there and he kept uh, going on to him in the camera. And he was just yawning, stretching, looking around aimlessly. So then after he'd done his whole thing, gave the belt to the winner. And I said, oh, I'll catch Mike Tyson on a weekly show on Wednesday. So, obviously, I was intrigued. So, I wanted to see what Mike Tyson was going to do on a wrestling show on Wednesday. So, I went on. Here he comes. Him and um, some notable MMA stars, Rashad Evans, Henry Cejudo, 
Vitor Beltor, they all came out with Mike Tyson. And he started an on-screen uh, scuffle with a famous wrestler. People, wouldn't, people should probably would know him if they're into wrestling at some stage. Called uh, Chris Jericho. So I'm saying there's like, this is like a fever dream. What's going on here? Like, so we have Mike Tyson ripping off his shirt, going mental, just... So we were there reporting that like Mike Tyson returned to the boxing ring. Maybe it's not. Maybe what they're reporting that they're going to maybe it's the wrestling ring. See Mike Tyson there soon. Rather than mm. boxing. Just a weird little story to finish up on. Yeah, uh, I did see it, and I uh, it was a bit cringeworthy now, I thought, at, at <laughs> times. Uh, he couldn't rip off. He's no Hulk Hogan. He couldn't rip no. off his shirt. <laughs> he went and ripped it off. <laughs> he went and ripped it off. Then he put, like, one arm through to rip the hole. What was the wrong hole? And then he put it back over his head. <laughs> and all the while, like, so he's surrounded by these big MMA fighters. But the funniest bit, I thought, well, I don't know who it was. Well, that would be a friend of his. Some chubby lad in a white t-shirt standing beside him, giving it large, and the rest of these actual fighters are just standing there around like he has like fights and trying to get a t-shirt off. This chubby lad jumping yeah. up and down. Like man, what am I doing in my life on a Saturday night? I don't know. It's 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 <laughs> it's only second to the hangover, huh? Yeah, it's okay. is. Right, lads, we're gonna leave it there uh, again. Look out at thebigkickoff.com. There's loads of great articles going up there at the moment. And we're increasing our writers on a weekly basis now. So some great reads. Have a look at that. Uh, and we'll, lads, we'll talk again next week where we'll be another week closer to the Premier League, but still no football. <laughs>